Okay, I've got to admit, I'm struggling with these things. I'm going to just leave them for the time being. Okay? No, it's all right. It's all right. I've got the, you know, the iPad, you can actually make it really big. I'll do that. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. We had a look at that, um, at that last week. I'll have a look at it quickly again today as we go through this, um, this topic that we're going through this morning. Let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer and uh, ask the Lord if he bless this time. Father, we do thank you, dear Lord. We thank you for the wonderful joy that we can have in the knowledge of who you are. That hope, dear Lord, that you have provided for us that permeates our very soul. I ask, dear Father, you would bless us this evening. As we go through this wonderful text, as we consider this study that we're looking at, I pray, dear Father, we each of us would learn something so important, dear Lord, about who you are, about our walk with you, about the things that we can be afflicted with from time to time. But most importantly, dear Lord, about how we can continue to live and live a wonderful life in praise and in joy and in hope in our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. So you remember we've been looking at this question of of depression, despair. Last time we we went through and we had a look at some of the characteristics of of depression. Um, Today we're going to be looking at um, why there is despair. Why is there despair? Why do do we go through these things? So this will be the last week we're going to be talking about that. Next week we'll change the pace and speak about joy, which is always wonderful. But even, you know, within this, as we're looking at this topic, even though it, it, it seems down, there's, a, there's an incredible answer to it. And, um, and I know it's an answer that if you've ever struggled with this or if um, this is something that might come upon you at a later time in your life, you're going to want to know how to turn your despair to joy. And that's what we want to be looking at uh, this afternoon as we look at these texts. So Psalm 42, Psalm 42 David begins with that heart that pants after the water brooks and, and he speaks about that. But when you go down to verse 5, he then begins to ask the question, which is the question that we want to be dealing with today. He asks, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Within this, within this text, incredibly, within this very passage, we get to understand something about the nature of depression, believe it or not. And we've got three points that we're going to be getting through this morning. The first one is what is this depression in me? What is it? And incredibly, that's answered just within that one verse. We can, we're going to be looking at why is there despair in me? Also answered within that text. And also we're going to be looking at how this despondency is to flee from me. How is it to, to move away from me and from my life? He says here, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Disquiet. What an interesting word, disquiet. Well, we know what quiet is, don't we? We know that quiet means to be quiet. When you, if you're a parent and you've got a, a baby or a very, very small child and you find that the child is awake, 
But quiet doesn't need your attention, does it? You know that if, if the child is awake and quiet, it's content. There's no, no problem there. And that's exactly the same with us within our own lives. When things are quiet within our lives, we've got no problems. But you change that up a little bit and all of a sudden disquiet can come in. And disquiet is the exact opposite of quiet. And it means basically that, uh, well, yeah, well, you're loud, but it's not. It's, it's, it's a restlessness. It's a restlessness that happens within you, okay? So it's something that's completely changed. So when we're looking at the question why, we automatically realise something else. As David asked this question, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Something in that that you recognise that depression is not a cause. It's a symptom. It's a symptom. You know, why do I feel this way? Why, um, why does my arm hurt? All right, that's a symptom. There's a cause. There's something else that you're looking for behind that. When you go to the doctor and you're feeling unwell, um, you know, you want to know why you're feeling unwell. You're trying to get to the cause of that feeling. Does that make sense? So and that's what we're actually doing. So when we're, when we're going through depression, when we're feeling depressed, you'll notice that eh, there's a question why. Now, if this depression was based on circumstance, you don't need to ask the question, do you? I'm depressed because this and this happened. You already know that. You don't even search for an answer for it. So if there's been a death in the family, you know immediately why you're under distress, why you're sad, why you're feeling such a, in, in such a way. Because there's been something that has already happened that's made you feel that way, you recognise it immediately. But the psalmist here asks, Why? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? To a lot of us, we don't... Some of us go through depression, we don't even ask the question. Um, you go through depression, you, you, you're feeling sad, you're feeling miserable, but instead of asking the question, the first thing you're doing is to, is to try and attribute blame. You know, try and attribute blame. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that actually happens. But... Before we answer the question why, and in order to answer the question why, we need to understand what it actually is, what it is, because that's part of this. Why art thou disquieted? What is the nature of depression? What is it that he has to deal with? Once you understand what it actually is, it's not difficult to answer the next couple of questions. And so anytime you want to try and find something out, you're asking generally three questions. You're asking what, you're asking why, and you're asking how. So it's usually three questions that you generally want to ask. What, why, and how? What, what am I going through? Why am I going through it? How can I deal with it? Okay, so when we're going through that now, sometimes the ladies don't really want an answer to the how am I going to fix it. Uh, they, they just want to let you know that they're going through it. Um, We've noticed that before, you know, it sort of happens with a bloke when we go through a problem, we want to know how do you fix it, you know, you're going through something, I want to know how to fix it. Now, that doesn't always, doesn't always happen. I remember early in my relationship with my beautiful wife, it was just, I just want you to listen, I just want you to listen, don't want you, I don't want you to fix it, just, just listen, just hear me out and that automatically made, made her feel better. But the question what, what is this depression in me? Psalm 13 that we, that we just read is a beautiful psalm. 
Um, and it sort of mirrors what we're looking at in Psalm 42. But in Psalm 42, you'll notice three verses, and it, and it slips into Psalm 43. Have a look at it. In verse 5, he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And then as you look through, have a look down at verse 11, the last verse. Separated by five verses, we have verse 5, we have a separation of five verses. We come down to the last verse. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, who is the health of my countenance and my God. And then you have again, going back down to the fifth verse, the last verse, which happens to be the fifth verse of the 43rd Psalm, the very next Psalm. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. When you look at that, you're looking at and, and seeing that there is a distinction within this passage, something that the psalmist and the Lord wants us to know and to understand. He brings together not only the issue of depression and despair, but also the answer to it, also the answer to it. Yeah, he does, he does, he does. So the question here is, what is depression? Firstly, you'll note that it's a soul which is cast down. It's a soul which is cast down and disquieted. He says, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? We know that that's part of it. This disquietness has certain effects and it seems to take all our effort to return to that place of peace. Remember we spoke about when you're in peace, there's no effort required. There's nothing needed to do anything. You don't need to do anything about that. But, in order to, but once you are disquieted, your desire is to return back to that peace. And that's the first thing you want to do. But it takes all your effort. And when you're going through this, you, you, you start feeling really, really drawn. So one of the, one of the experiences that you find with depression is, um, is a lack of, uh, lack of energy. You lose that energy. We see that in Elijah when he's going through what he goes through. He finds himself constantly sleeping. We, we also become less productive. We become unproductive in all our other efforts. We tire really easily. We find ourselves without energy. You find yourself wanting to sleep more. Uh, when I was going through it, I, I just wanted to sleep. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to pull the blankets over the top of me. I didn't want the day to dawn. And you're hoping that through that sleep you have that comfort. But in the waking hours, there is that distress. There, there is that disquietness within you. And that's one of the things that occurs. So depression is identified by a cast-down life, firstly, and a disquieted soul, okay? Secondly, notice that it's also signalled from within. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? How's it known that the, the soul is cast down? I mean, do you get an SMS? Someone sends you an email and lets you know, hey, you're, you're not feeling really well? Is there an audible voice? Is there something coming in from the outside? 
Uh, you know, when you hear the distress of a child, you recognize it straight away that they're upset, you know, but how do you recognize you're depressed? How do you know this? Is it something, you know, you go and touch a hot plate, immediately you feel the pain. So you understand that that's, again, something that comes from without. Um, if you stand on a nail, it's the same thing. There's so many different things that we can identify when, we're, when there's something wrong. Uh, you've got red blotching on the skin. You know that you, you've, where that's come from. That's come from without. You can deal with it. But here, here, how do you tell depression other than from within? And that's, and that's what the psalmist is going through here. Back in Psalm 13, have a look at what he says there in Psalm 13. He says there in verse 2, he says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? So he's having and taking counsel within his soul, and he's having sorrow within his heart daily. It's happening from within him. It's, it's not... It's, um, So depression, like happiness, is a, is a feeling. It's, an, it's a feeling that's experienced and it's subjective. It's subjective to the individual, to the person themselves, what they're going through. Okay? Um, it's not determined by thought. You don't logically consider your circumstances and then say to yourself, right, okay, this, this and this has happened to me, uh, therefore I am to be depressed. It doesn't happen logically. Okay? It's a feeling and it's emotion that actually happens from within you. And as a result of that, it's also irrational. It's also irrational. It's not based on logic. It's not based on things that are actually, necess- uh, that are actually happening to you. It's coming up from within you. Now, as Christians, as Christians, we're not to be trusting our feelings, we're not trusting, we're not supposed to be trusting our feelings and our emotions. We're supposed to be laying the foundation and laying uh, the authority on the Word of God. It's the Word of God that is, that is that which is meant to determine how we are, not our feelings, not our, we're not to trust in our feelings and our emotions. We find here that it's not until the psalmist has his attention directed to the Lord that his answer comes. Depression, despair, despondency is not that feeling that is governed necessarily by reality. To some people, there's reasons for them to be downcast. Uh, But grief and sadness is not depression, even though uh, those are the emotions that actually happen from depression. This particular, particularly comes from within. Why art thou cast down? O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? So in your first two parts of this, you discover that depression is identified by a cast-down life, a disquieted soul. It's also something that comes up from within. It's from within inside the body, in the flesh, and it's, and it's irrational. Thirdly, it desperately seeks for an answer for the sake of relief. He's asking the question, why art thou cast down, O my soul? So he's asking the question. He's looking for hope. That's what he's looking for within this. 
One of the things that we tend to do, some of the ways that we try and find the solution is, one of the first ways that we try and do it is we try and attribute blame. We're looking for someone or something else to blame for why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. So that's one of the first things that actually occur within our lives. We look for blame. A downcast soul might look to blame someone else for their state. We might want to try and... um, cover over the pain that we're feeling with depression. So we'll overindulge in something. And that might be drugs, alcohol, it might be adrenaline-type activities, it might be those endorphins that you need. Some men might give themselves completely over to work. They'll busy themselves and busy themselves and busy themselves, again, to try and get rid of this emotion that they're going through and that they're feeling. They might look at major life changes in their lives, a lot of blokes out there that buy Harley Davidsons. They figure that that's going to make them feel a lot better. You know, they've been miserable all this time. Now it's time to go out and get a bike and live for me, you know. Um, and they're trying to, again, they're going through what they call midlife crisis, okay. Oh, midlife crisis isn't what we generally think it is. It's usually we've tried to live our lives to the best endeavour that we can, trying to attain certain goals that we desired for our lives and it hasn't turned out that way. And now we're sort of stuck with what to do. But major life changes. I might look at uh, buying some big toys. I might look at a new home, a new location, a new job. Uh, Some even a new partner. Because again, they're trying to look for something particular that is the cause of their grief. That is the cause of their depression. That is the cause of their anxiety. You know, we see people today doing the same thing. Um, they've indulged activities within their lives. They're looking for hope, but they're looking for it in the wrong places. And they think that changing certain things will make it happen. Um, and we see and we see that so evident, but it's not the answer. It's not those changes that we need. Some people end up settling in despair. They just consider it their lot in life. They consider it their lot in life and that's it. I'm just meant to be depressed for the rest of my life and that's it. They stay that way and they continue in that way, not looking and not even thinking that there's an answer for it. They end up becoming like Eeyore in, um, in that famous... Uh, was it? Winnie the Pooh, that's it. Thanks, thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> and, uh, and Eeyore's very much like that, you know. He's always moping around dragging his tail down, face down, ears down, you know, and, and always complaining, always complaining. And that's also one of the elements of despair. It's one of those things that are an attribute of depression and what you go through. Finally and ultimately, there can be also a desire for death because that despair and that despondency... Um, is one that is so difficult to live with, so difficult to live with. And we see Elijah, he did exactly that in 1 Kings 19. It's exactly what he said when he came before the Lord. He says, that's enough now, Lord, take away my life, for I'm not, no better than my father's, you know. That's a really interesting passage, that one in 1 Kings chapter 19, because he just finished that wonderful work with the 400 prophets of Baal, and this is a work that God had done and 400 prophets of Baal he had no problems with. He was able to deal with them. God dealt with them. 
Um, God created the flame that came down and, and took his offering, even though he doused it with water three times until the water was overflowing, running over and all the way down. And the flame came up and it licked it all up without a, prophet, without a problem. While the 400 prophets of Baal are standing there screaming out to Baal, they're cutting themselves and everything like that, hoping that Baal would answer their prayer to come down and consume it with fire. You know, And Elijah stands up there on the mountain and he goes, well, why isn't he answering? Maybe you need to be a bit louder. Maybe he's sleeping. You know, maybe your God is sleeping. He's mocking them, full on mocking them and having a laugh at their expense. And God ended up doing this miraculous work. And as a result of that, 400 of them were slain by the sword. And here's Elijah, runs away because one little lady says she wants to kill him. Now, she wants to kill him. And he runs from her thinking God can't do anything with that, but he was able to deal with the 400 prophets of Baal. You understand that this is part of the irrationality that actually happens through depression. It's a perfect picture of it in Elijah, you know. So he's, he's escaping for his life. He runs into the desert for a day. He leaves his, his, um, his servant. He runs into the desert and he goes to sleep and he cries to the Lord, Lord, take my life. Hang on. Weren't you just escaping for your life? And now he wants his life to end. Do you see what I mean? These are some of the irrational uh, thoughts that can come across a person. But through this depression, there are many people who desire an end to their lives. And that's why you have to be very, very careful, especially when you desire, if you find people that are desiring solitude and, and everything like that, even though they might not say anything to you, be aware that they might be going through this state, through this depression. And there are many people that we know, famous people, and I mentioned that last week, that have gone through depression and such a, and such a difficult time. Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, I had quotes there from Boris Becker, John Adams and the like, these people that are going through or have gone through depression during that time. So we have there some fundamental items. Depression is identified again by a cast down life, disquieted soul it's felt from within it's from the it's from our normal our natural tendency it's irrational and it seeks an answer from without and that's part of the irrationality of it okay it's a depression that comes from within yet we're looking for an answer from without we're looking for that someone else has made me or something else or i'm not happy with my life for me i thought it was i just hated my job had nothing to do with my job, I'm still doing the same work, you know. So it had nothing to do with my work. It was a tendency that was coming up within me and I dealt with it the way um, the psalmist deals with it here. The fourth fundamental identifier, and helps you explain, understand what depression is. The fourth fundamental identifier, again, is found in that same verse in, in 42. And you see it plainly. It's the beginning of the second half of the verse. And it's only three words. It's only three words. And it's simply hope in God in verse 11. Verse 5, it says, hope thou in God. Hope in God. Hope in God in Psalm 43 in the last verse. Hope in God. How does that describe depression? 
Firstly, I want you to notice something. It posits itself as a solution, doesn't it? That's what it says. It posit that, that's the position that it gives itself. This is the solution. This is the solution. Hope in God. Hope in God. So if that is the solution, then logically, what is the fundamental lack in the heart of the depressed? It's a lack of hope. Fundamentally, it's a lack of hope. It's a lack of hope. Now, should that be the experience of the Christian? Should that be the experience of those who have hope in God? We've been saved, we've been born again by God. That shouldn't be our experience. And yet this is the fundamental reason why people are depressed. When you look at, I had a look at all these different definitions for depression and psychological websites and, um, and all that sort of thing. I went through the dictionary, um, went through so many different um, places where it spoke about um, despair, depression, despondency. All of them say the same thing. It's a lack of hope. It's a lack of hope. That's essentially what it is. Now, understand something. As I went through all of these, not one single website that I'd looked at, and these were, a lot of these were psychological websites, some of them were, and they were clinical, speaking about clinical depression. Not one of them, not one of them said it was because of a lack of a certain chemical within your body. Not one of them said that. The funny thing is I actually thought it was. I thought it was just something lacking in you, a chemical or something like that. But when you're talking about, and we're talking about sites that spoke about major, major depression, I can't remember the phrase, but it was clinical depression. And they all said the same thing. It was an experience. It's experiential, it's feelings, and it's motivated by a lack of hope. Okay? Motivated by a lack of hope. So we see here that hope in God is our solution. He lacks hope. Specifically, the downcast soul lacks hope in God. It's not just a general hope. He's not lacking a general hope based on some sort of an immediate circumstance, like I hope I get that job. It's not that. It's an absolute hope that they're lacking. An absolute hope is what they're lacking. But as a Christian, you know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's what it tells us in the text. Romans 8.28. What a beautiful passage. As a passage that kept me in good stead, that helped me stay strong during that time. It simply said, no, I know and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Charles Spurgeon said that if Romans 8 is the golden ring of Scripture, he said then verse 28 is the diamond set in the ring is the diamond which is set in the ring. And that is so true when it comes to verse 28 of Romans. Our feelings are to be governed by the word of God and not the other way around. If you belong to the Lord, you have hope. Not a vain, wishful thinking hope that we spoke about last time. That's not the hope presented by Scripture. A sure hope, a certain, a hope of, uh, certain hope, uh, a hope certain of attainment. It's hope in God. It's true, it's undefiled and it wastes not away and it's reserved in heaven for you. And if you've got a sure hope, then depression is that feeling within you that contradicts God's word and God's promise. If all things work together for good, your depression has you feeling that nothing will turn out good. 
That's, that's, that's completely contrast what the Bible says. Your feeling here, just like any other sin that you might actively commit, is against the word and the work and the promise of God. And yeah, you, you heard it right. Depression within a Christian is essentially sin within a Christian. It's essentially sin, and that'll be brought out in a second also. When I, when I first discovered this after 10 years of, of living um, and living this way, I, I did all those things. You know, I didn't look at the Scripture. I didn't look at the Bible. I didn't look at what the Bible said about depression. I didn't even realise it was in there, you know. I thought, gee, it would have been good if I had known depression was in the Bible because I would have really searched it out to try and deal with it. I didn't want to go through 10 years of this. But 10 years going through it, and at the end of it, I started asking the question, why art thou cast down, O my soul? I started asking it logically. I'm trying to find the answer to why I'm going through this. So I would ask the question. I knew that it was coming from within, that it wasn't coming from without, because after 10 years of asking this question and attributing blame to everything else in my life that I thought wasn't going right... I realise that even if I fix those things, I'm still feeling depressed. Why? Why am I still going through this? And then I realised that it's irrational. I realised that this is a tendency of my own flesh. I realised that there was no answer that I could give it because this was rising up from within me and it contradicted the Word of God. And it wasn't until I understood that that I thought, you know what? I'm going to stop looking for a reason why I'm depressed. And I'm just going to start trusting that God's got it under control. So that's exactly how I ended up dealing with it. I literally dealt with it that way. I dealt with it that I just I got depressed. I'd get up in the morning. I'd just shake myself off and get going. I'd wipe the tears, get through the day. But it wasn't struggling to get through the day. I would dive into the Word of God and I would just spend time reading the Scriptures. And the more I read the Scriptures, eventually this feeling that I was having just disappeared. It just went on its own accord. Almost as quickly as it came, it went. But it only went because all of a sudden I had hope in God. I rested in Him, rested in His Word. Rested in His Word. For Christians, here is hope. We are charged to trust in God's words, not in our feelings. A Christian is not to live trusting his emotions to guide him or her. A Christian has a final authority in God's words. If he replaces God's words with his feelings at any time, uh, then he'll certainly go astray. You know, it's not just the psalmist that's gone through this. We see in Scripture... All the way through, we can look at the accounts and the complaints of men such as Elijah, which we spoke about, King Saul, King David, King Ahab, Solomon, Hezekiah, Naomi. Remember what Naomi called herself? She said, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Mara, bitter, bitter, for the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. That's her depression, that's her grief that she'd gone through. Mordecai, Mordecai is another one. He spoke where he covered himself in sackcloth and ashes. Mourning, perplexed. The entire city was perplexed. And we'll discover how 
that perplexity can actually affect the entire world. Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet, isn't he? Each of these people suffered terribly from depression, despair, despondency. So I spent most of this message talking about what it is. This perplexity is a really interesting one because what I want to tell you is fascinating because as the world is continually losing hope in God, we see a dramatic uptick in the level of depression and also the ultimate way of how so many people are dealing with depression by taking their own lives. We see that depression and anxiety and fear is just increasing exponentially today. Is it not Is it not curious to you that it happens to coincide with a time that we've abandoned the Word of God and we've said, away from me, God, I don't want to know you. It's happening at the same time. Why? And you know what? The Bible teaches that that's exactly what's going to be happening in the last days. It says that the entire world will be perplexed. Perplexed. When you look at perplexed and how that's used in Scripture... It's actually another way of saying it's a confounded depression. It's a type of anxiety, one that's filled with fear, but also despair, lack of hope. And that's what we're finding in the world today, a lack of hope. And where do we find hope? In God. But what's the world decided to do? Abandon God. Or where are they finding hope? Nowhere. Nowhere. They can't find hope anywhere. And it doesn't matter how much medication they're put on, they will not find hope. And please, if you know somebody that's on antidepressants and they are feeling good, they be be very, very careful. Never ever say to those people, especially if they come to know God, just a caution here, a side note and a caution. If you've ministered to somebody who's going through depression and... um, and through you sharing the gospel with them, they've come to the knowledge of Christ and you find that their emotions are now through the roof. They're like really rejoicing in God. They now have finally hope. Never, ever, ever tell them to get off their antidepressants. Okay, this is something that a doctor needs to deal with. And I say that and I caution you in that regard because you have to understand how these antidepressants work. They are drugs. Okay, and they give immediate emotional highs. But once they come off it, it can become a dramatic and drastic low. Okay, one of the warnings on those bottles, many of them have, you know, one in X amount of people will die of suicide by, taking, by removing themselves directly from antidepressants very, very quickly. And I think we've, we've seen, I know of evidence of that. I have heard of people that have taken their own lives. They said, no, no, I don't need that anymore. And not long after they've, they've done this and it's been a real tragedy. So just as a side note, be very, very careful when you're dealing with people that are depressed. But really important also to understand our opportunity. This is the opportunity for the church. It's an opportunity to be able to share where hope is actually found. It's found in God. We know that. The world needs to know that too. So when you've got somebody that's going through it, please, please go out of your way and share of the hope that's within you. That's what Peter speaks about. You know, always have an answer, a ready answer 
to tell everybody of the hope that they ask about that's within you, that's already within you. So we found our answer of what depression is, why am I cast down, really short point, there's two antagonists that we need to deal with and only two antagonists. One is the flesh, the other is the devil. The flesh, you don't need to spend too much time on this point, for the Christian, the flesh nature is most evident as it rises against the Spirit of God within us. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. What you find here is a distinction between two elements within your life. Galatians, Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5. Have a look at just two verses here. Verses 16 and 17. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There is a contrary nature within you. There are, is a contrary nature within you. There's now two elements within the Christian. No longer do we have just the flesh to deal with. We now have a battle to deal with because there's two natures within us. This is really important to understand. See, before you became a Christian, before you came to Christ, there was only one nature within you. There was no wrestling, was there? No wrestling. No wrestling when I was not a Christian. The wrestling came after I became a Christian because all of a sudden now I've got two natures within me. And that's the wrestling that we have. Romans 8. Just go back to Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 5. It says, Therefore they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Having these two natures within you has a struggle within you. There's a struggle within those two natures within a, within a Christian's life. So this naturally comes up after the flesh so we see one mind is the enemy of god that brings forth death and the other brings life and peace romans chapter 7 just one chapter back says for i delight in the law of god after the inward man in verse 22 verse 23 says but i see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So again, we confirm that there is a warring within, but only one has to prevail, and only one does. Only one does prevail. This is again an element of the flesh. It comes from within. The second enemy that we need to deal with, and the second thing that will come against our lives, is the devil. There's only one passage that we need to consider. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. I want you to know that just as God desires nothing other than your good, the devil desires nothing other than your hurt. And saying that you belong to God, 
all Satan's work will be of none avail in the end. And that's really important to understand because as you're going through depression, you can sit there and wallow in self-pity. But if you know that all of Satan's work, doesn't matter what he tries to do to you, it won't avail in the end. First Peter chapter 5, sorry, First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And that's the wonderful nature of God's promise. You know, if we will indeed cast all our care upon him. Therefore, he says in verse 8, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Both of these are a natural tendency of the flesh and the efforts of the devil will inspire despair within the soul. And uh, neither of these things are justified by reality. Final point that I want to make, how do I hope? Turn your Bibles back to Psalm 13, please. We were before we started this morning. Psalm 13. What's really interesting about this is that the psalmist here follows along the same sort of line that we were talking about. Uh, that this is King David who wrote this psalm. Uh, same sort of line that he speaks about in Psalm 42. He begins in despair. He says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? That's one of the things that you experience when you're you're going through depression. You experience loneliness. You feel like you've been cast adrift. You feel like God has abandoned you, left you alone to your own devices. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Solomon did the same thing in, in, in Ecclesiastes. He started taking counsel within his own heart. But we don't want to take counsel within our own heart because there's no answer there. There's no answer within us. We need to get it from the Lord. And he says, verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. And this is the point here. He says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Here David begins where the psalmist of Psalm 42 and 43 begin. In despair, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? And then he moves on from that point and he says, he finishes exactly the same way that Psalm 42 and 43 end. In hope, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. What's changed? What's changed? Think about what has actually changed here with the psalmist, with David. Has anything changed within his circumstances? No, nothing's changed in his circumstances. Has anything changed from without? Nothing's changed from without. Everything else around him is exactly the same. There's only one difference. The difference is here he is no longer taking counsel within his own self. Now 
He's seeking after the Lord. He goes before the Lord and he has a tremendous attitude shift. There is a change that's happened within him because he's gotten to understand something a little bit more clearly. You know, guys, a lot of years ago, um, when when I was going through what I went through, we had a time within our business that everything collapsed. Everything fell in a heap. Everything fell in a heap. And I was, I was in despair. I was despondent. I was depressed. But it wasn't from something that came within. Understand that something happened from the outside. A little bit different to what we're talking about. But the result was the same. Because as soon as I put my, my head in my hands and I started to seek the Lord, He started making things really clear. Because, and these were the questions that I asked. Right? These are the questions that I asked for the sake of clarity. Right? I was broken hearted because I'd worked all my life in expecting that I would become some sort of mega rich individual and all of a sudden everything was taken away from me. Right? And I put my head in my hands and I asked, Lord, what's going to happen here now? And it was almost like I was answering some questions. What's the worst thing that can happen, Eddie? Well, they could take my house. Okay. Does that mean you're not going to have anywhere to live? Oh, no, I could still rent. Okay, so is that all that bad? Oh, no. Okay, well, can they take your car? Well, they could, but the cars aren't worth anything. So, no, they won't take the car. Right, so you can still get transport. Um, Yeah. Uh, um, Have you lost your your wife? No, no, we've got a great relationship, my, my wife and I. It's... Not going to lose my wife. What about your children? No, no, nothing's going to change there. Okay. Um, You lost the ability to work? No, no, I'm still physically fit. I can still go out there and work. So does it just mean you're going to start again? Yeah, it just means I'm going to start again. So how bad is it, Eddie? Oh, wow. Well, it's not all that bad at all. It's an attitude shift. Well, something changed. But it doesn't change within yourself. It changes when you apply the logic that the Lord would apply. That the Lord would apply. Last passage we want to turn to this afternoon, this evening. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and we close on this thought. Proverbs chapter 3. We're in Psalms halfway through. What a wonderful proverb to have and what a wonderful proverb to have as your proverb even for your own life. Some of you would know which one I'm already going to be looking at. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honour the Lord with thy substance and with all the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. 
Wow. You know, sometimes these things happen within our lives. I'm sure Job didn't have an understanding of why he was going through what he was going through. I'm sure Job didn't understand um, that the Lord was working within his own life and within his heart, changing him and transforming him. There's reasons why we go through what we go through and sometimes we don't have an answer for it. And the only answer is exactly that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. When Job had finished speaking and Elihu finished giving him the proper answer towards the end of the book of Job, chapter 38 begins with the Lord speaking out of the whirlwind. And he says to Job, Who is this who darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up thy loins like a man, I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. He says, where wast thou when I created the heaven and the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. And he goes on, the Lord goes on. He doesn't exactly give Job an answer to why he's suffering. He doesn't give him an answer. He simply puts himself into position, don't trust in you. Don't trust in your circumstances. Don't trust in your feelings. Don't trust in your emotions. Trust in me. Trust in me. Trust in me. And that's what God would say to us. Trust in me. Trust in the Lord. Trust in him and him alone. He is your hope and he is the countenance of your well-being. And he is the one who we are to rest in. You know? Don't trust in people, don't trust in man, don't trust in yourself. Guys, big one there, do not trust in yourself, all right? The world wants you to trust in yourself because they know that's where you're least likely to find the answer. They don't know that. They think that that's where you find the answer because they have no other answer, okay? Look within you. Well, what's within me? The Bible says within me, save for the Spirit of God, dwelleth no good thing, you know? Trust in your own heart. But the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? No. No, none of those things. We need to trust in God and in God alone. We need to trust in Him and in Him alone. Let's pray. Father, just give you thanks to your Lord for this evening. We thank you, dear Lord, for the wonderful joy that we find in your word. And we pray, dear Lord, and ask you, dear Father, that you would continue to do your work within us. Change us and transform us. Help us trust in you and trust in you so perfectly that we would know the Lord with all our heart, that our heart and our soul and our desires, dear Lord, are found only in you. And I ask you, dear Father, please, that you would be with us. Help us grow in the knowledge of you. Help us desire your word. Check our thoughts and our feelings, dear Lord, according to your word, that we might indeed rejoice. We give you thanks for this time, and what a wonderful blessing. Amen.